Morning. Morning. Yeah, that sounds good. It's good to hear people's voices in the house. And you know what? Online too, you have a voice. It's called, uh, you know, uh, what does it call it? Uh, texting or sharing or putting in the chat. There you go. I'm in blank there. Put it in the chat. Amen. And so you can put it in the chat. Even if you're on in the house, you can put it in the chat. Amen. This morning, let's go before the Father in prayer before we dive into his word. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for the time of worship. We thank you, Lord, for the time of fellowship to come before you, Lord, in one body and one accord, Lord, whether it be in person or distance, Lord, we are one body, Heavenly Father, and we serve one God, Heavenly Father, and that is you, Lord. We thank you, Lord, for the ability to do so, Lord. I ask you, Lord, right now as we dive into your word, Lord, as you do every single week, I ask you, Heavenly Father, to use me as a vessel to bring forth what you want to be said, Lord. I pray, Heavenly Father, right now, Lord, that you make the word come to life, Lord, and make it a, a, a applicable to our lives, Heavenly Father, so we can, we can form it, Heavenly Father. Father, uh, so you can form it, Heavenly Father, in our lives. We thank you, Heavenly Father, for what you are going to be saying this morning, and we give you the praise and glory. In Jesus' name, the church says, amen, amen. This morning, we are going to be back in Acts chapter 19. We've been in Acts chapter 19. This is the third Sunday. We're in Acts 19, and so this morning, we're going to be back in Acts 19. Uh, last week, if you remember, if you were here, if you weren't, that's fine. You can listen to a podcast or go back to YouTube or Facebook. I preached on a sermon titled, Who Are You? Who are you? And there was a few questions that were challenging questions for us to find out what God has in store, what God tells us our identity. And those three questions for a quick review uh, was um, uh, uh, to examine who and what is defining you, right? Who and what is defining you? The other question that, that, that we had uh, uh, that was presented to us is to examine who and what your identity is in. And the last one was, does the enemy know your name? Because if you, the enemy doesn't know your name, we ain't doing something right, right? As Christians, we are to, to uh, rustle the, the feathers, per se, of Satan, right? And if he's not knocking on our door, right, then at that point, we're not doing something right as Christians. And we were in Acts chapter 19, verses 13 to 16. This morning, we're in Acts chapter 19, verses 17 through 20. But a quick review last week between uh, Acts 19, 13 through 16, we learned about the seven sons of Siva. We know Siva was a, a, a high priest, um, or chief priest, I should say. He, uh, uh, the seven sons tried to do what Paul did, which was heal, which was cast out uh, demons. And they did it, if you remember, they said, in the name of Jesus, which was correct, but they said, in the name of Jesus, who Paul speaks, meaning that they didn't have a relationship with Jesus. They were trying to use Paul's identity. They were trying to use things, uh, uh, use the name of Jesus, but they had no authority because they didn't know who Jesus was. They were living off of Paul's identity. And we see that they, they, they had this encounter with this evil spirit, and they tried to cast out the evil spirit, and it didn't work, right? It did not work. The evil spirit was not expelled. In fact, the evil spirit goes and turns the tables on uh, the seven sons of Siva. And in fact, instead of the, the, the evil spirit being cast out, the, the, the spirit jumps on these seven men, beats them up, and leaves them naked, right? If you remember, and uh, in, 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 I want to say it's verse uh, 16, um, leaves them battered and naked. We see this morning that what happened to these seven men did not just impact these seven men's life. It impacted the whole area of Ephesus where they're at. This morning, I want us to speak on a sermon titled, 
the breakup. Someone say the breakup. breakup. The breakup. If you have a, of a Bible, if not, you can follow along behind me. Acts chapter 19, verse 17 through 20 out of the NLT says this. Story of what happened spread, spread quickly all through Ephesus. What was the story? It was the seven sons of Siva, remember? Seven sons of Siva got beat up, and uh, they, they, they failed at casting out the evil spirit. So the story of what happened spread quickly all through Ephesus to Jews and Greeks alike. A solemn fear descended on the city, and the name of the Lord Jesus was greatly honored. Many who became believers confessed their sinful practices. A number of them who had been practicing sorcery brought their incantation books and burned them at a public bonfire. The value of the books was several million dollars. Verse 20 says, so the message about the Lord spread widely and had a powerful effect. When we think of the word breakup, what comes to mind? Devastation, right? You've had a breakup. You're devastated, right? And when you think about those words, they don't bring great feelings. You know, you think about a boyfriend and a girlfriend breaking up. Or you think about a husband or wife, you know, breaking up or, or, or divorce, right? This what comes to mind when we think of the word breakup. We think about a, a solid friendship, you know, friends that were just like tight at one point, had a falling out, and they had a breakup. Or you think about like TV shows, you know, I'm not a big TV show buff, but like Friends or back in the day Cheers or whatever it may be, right? They had a long standing season after season, and then they broke up the cast, right? Something else came and took its place or, or uh, uh, teams, you know, we've had some great Los Angeles Laker teams, but eventually the run stops. They break up the team, right? And it's devastating. It hurts. It hurts as a fan of a show. It hurts as a relationship with a boyfriend, a girlfriend, or a friend. Breakups hurts. But you know, breakups can be a good thing too. They can be a good thing. And what I mean by that is, is for instance, there's a, there's a, a, a gentleman I follow on Instagram, and he does the keto way of living. You know, I, I've been off and on on keto, have been more off than on recently, but it, uh, they, they go in and, 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 he, and he does like a preparation of meals and different things. And he authored a book called Breaking Up With Carbs. Well, if you know uh, low carb or keto way of lifestyle or way of eating, I should say, is a low, low carb lifestyle. So breaking up with carbs is a, is a great thing, right? It's not a negative thing. It's a, a great thing. I think about past relationships. You know, I praise God for, for breakups. You know, I think about my, you know, I had a breakup in high school. My coach gave me some, I don't know, sound advice, I guess. I saw one of the youth this the other day. My coach said, hey, don't worry. The bus left at 6. The next one's coming at 6.30. I thought he just happened to be on that bus at 6.30, right? So I met her right after that, you know. I mean, you think about breakup. I praise God for breakups because I would never have met my wife. Breakups are a good thing. Think about that in any uh, anything in life, sometimes it's, 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 it had to be broken before it's healed again. Think about the human body, right? We work out, we walk a long distance, our legs are sore, our arms are sore, and what is it doing? It's breaking down the muscle to what? Rebuild it even stronger. It has to be broken before it's made whole again. Several weeks ago, I think it was, JR sent me a, a text message, and, and uh, it was a Facebook link, and I, I clicked it, and I, and I read it. I want to share the story with you this morning. It was a share from, actually, it was a share from my cousin. Somehow he ran into it, and he shared it with me, and I'm like, hey, that's my cousin, you know? So uh, my cousin shared it, but it wasn't his story. And it goes like this. I was at a Dollar Tree last night. 
There was a lady and two kids behind me in a long line. One was a big kid. One was a toddler. The bigger one had a pack of glow sticks, and the baby was screaming for them. So the mom opened the pack and gave the baby a glow stick. It stopped his tears. He walked around with it smiling, but the bigger boy took it from the baby, and the baby started crying again. Just as the mom was about to fuss at the older children, we know that as, as parents, right? It's always someone's fault. He bent the glow stick, and he handed it back to the baby. As we walked outside at the same time, the baby noticed that the stick was now, what, glowing, right? It's glowing. His brother said, I had to break it so you could get the full effect from it. The lady says, I almost ran because I could hear God saying to me, I had to break you to show you why I created you. You had to go through it so you could fulfill your purpose. The little baby was happy just swinging the unknown glow stick around in the air because he didn't understand what it was created to do. And it was created to glow. There are some people who will be content just being, but some of us have been chosen by God to be broken. We have to get sick. We have to lose our jobs. We have to go through divorce. We have to suffer with the disease of addiction. We have to bury our spouse, a parent, a best friend, a child, because in those moments of desperation, God is breaking us. But when the breaking is done, then we'll be able to see the reason for which we were created. So when you see us glowing, just know that we have been broken, but healed by his mercy and his grace. Amen? For the people in Ephesus, they had to be broken. They had to go through a break up. And us as Christians, it's a breakup that we all should be familiar with. All of us should be familiar with. It's a difficult breakup. I'm not going to stand up here and say the breakup that they went through and the breakup that we have gone through and that sometimes we need to go through again is easy because it's not. It's difficult. It's difficult. But it was the right breakup. It was a breakup with sin. It was a breakup with sin. It was a breakup with their traditions. It was a breakup with their past. It was a breakup that was very much needed. Three needs I want us to see this morning, going back to verse 17. So the story of what happened spread quickly all through Ephesus to Jews and Greeks alike. A solemn fear descended on the city, and the name of the Lord Jesus was greatly honored. A fear fell on the city. But how why did the fear fall on the city? Well, it was because it was the fear of God. The first thing I want us to see is the need for the fear of God. We have to have a fear of God. For breakup to happen with sin, we need to have a fear of God. To break free of our past, of our hurts, there needs to be a fear, a true fear of God. The, Ephes uh, the Ephesians had a breakup with sin when they decided that they were going to fear God more than they would fear anything else in life. They had a breakup with sin when they feared God the most. And let me tell you, that is our problem in our today's current age is we don't fear God like we used to. We don't fear God anymore. And we're wondering why our, our, our world is literally going to hell is because we have lost the fear of who God is. Took the events of these seven men being whooped by this evil spirit for people to recognize Jesus's 
superior power. See, after the sons of Siva fell in their attempt to combat a demonic power, both Jews and Gentiles begin revering Jesus' name, esteeming him all the more. Let me tell you, there's two fears as a Christian. The first fear is, is what we know when we come to God, right? And it, that fear sticks with us, and that is the fear of eternal separation. It is the fear of going to hell. There is a heaven and there is a hell, amen? And that is a fear of going and being separated from God for all of eternity. But for the believer, it's even more than just the fear of going to hell. It starts out with the fear of going to hell, but it turns out for a fear of reverence, of reverence for God. You know what reverence is? Reverence is a deep respect for someone or something. We need to have a reverence, a deep respect for who God is. And I told you earlier, in the generation that we're living in today, we have lost reverence for who God is. We have lost a deep respect for who God is we have lost our fear of God. We've lost the fear of eternal death, and we've lost our respect for God. It's a mockery nowadays. It's a mockery. They, they mocked God. We've lost our fear of God. Look at, look at what the Proverbs 1-7 spoke to me this week when I was preparing. It says, the fear of the Lord is the foundation of true knowledge. The fear of the Lord is a foundation of true knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and discipline. Fools despise wisdom. There's a bunch of fools walking around. But let's be real. It's not just the unchurched. Some of us in church are a bunch of fools walking around, including I've, I've done it, right? We've lived it. We've, we, we need to have a true uh, 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 fear of God. True wisdom comes from us understanding who is God. The people of Ephesus realized that the demonic power was real, but it had nothing compared to who Jesus Christ was. Demonic powers were real. I've seen him. I've witnessed him. I grew up in a PK's house. I've heard the stories. In these are firsthand accounts. I've witnessed him uh, coming against demonic powers. They are rare, real. But the thing that we have to understand is the one who lives in me is greater than the one who lives in the world. So at that point, that power has nothing against who I am in Christ Jesus. Amen? But it all comes back to having a reverence and fear of God. They elevate the name of Jesus. They turn to worship Jesus. Let me tell you, for us to break up, to break out, to break through, we need to have a true fear of the Lord. A fear that changes the way we walk, the way we talk, the way we live. A fear that is greater than any other fear in our entire world. You know, fearing God means is having such a reverence for him that it has a great impact on the way we live our lives. Let me tell you, the fear of God doesn't stop by respecting God. We can say we respect them, but, you know, we don't really fear him. It, it doesn't stop there. The fear of God doesn't stop at respecting God. It also includes obeying him. It also includes submitting to his discipline. It also includes worshiping him. That all accompanies the fear and the reverence of God. We respect him, and therefore we worship him. We respect him, and therefore we live our life in a certain way to bring honor and pleasing to him. Cannot say we have deep respect for God and then disobey his commands. This doesn't work. 
We can't say we have a deep respect for God, but then shun his discipline. We can't say we have a deep respect for God and then continue knowingly sinning. It doesn't work because what we're saying is, yeah, I know who you are and I respect you, but I don't respect you because I choose to continue to live in sin. Doesn't work. The Ephesians feared God and had deep respect of God, and it led them to this. It led them to true repentance. But look what verse 18 says. As many who became believers confessed their sinful practices. There's a need. The second thing I want you to see is the need for repentance. Someone say repentance. The need for repentance. For a breakup to happen with sin, we need a true repentance. You know what a breakup includes? A change. You know, it's amazing. You see like a, a, you know, a couple that's been together forever, and next thing you know, you know, they break up, and, you know, they, they, they lose their, their, their couple fat, you know? <laughs> we all got in it, right? Um, or, or, you know, things have changed, and lifestyles have changed. Why? Because there's been a breakup, right? When there's a breakup with sin, there needs to be a change. Verse 18 gives us a vivid picture of confession, repentance, but I like how the NIV says it. We're going to look at this a little deeper. The NIV says this, many of those who believed now came and openly confessed what they had done. Many of them came, right, who believed, now confessed what they had done. We know that repentance comes when we what? When we enter in a relationship with Jesus Christ. Repentance comes when we come before the Father and say, I am a sinner, I ask for your forgiveness, I repent of my sins, right? We know repentance happens right then and there. Bible says that sin separates us from God, and the only way that we can be reconciled with God is to repent of our sin. But repentance is not just for the unbeliever. The repentance is also for the believer. We forget that as, as believers, that repentance is, is, is not for me, but it is for us. It needs to be for us. It has to be for us because sin is easily enters our life, and then it separates us from God. As we get content in life, there are things that we allow in our life, in a lifestyle that we live, and it comes in and infiltrates our life. And the next thing you know, it's a full-on disaster. But what happens is as a believer and as an unbeliever, we need to repent before God. We must repent of those things that should not be. You know what repentance is? We always say here it's a turning away. But I love this. It is actually is a change of mind and heart that results in a change of action. The change of mind and the heart that results in a change of action. Notice what verse 18 says in the NIV again. It says, many of those who believed now came and confessed what they had done. There were new believers coming, now confessing, what they have done. We can interpret it that way, 100%, right? There was unbelievers that were being saved, that were confessing of their sins, they were turning, they were repenting. But read it again. Many of those who believed now came and confessed what they had done. What does that mean? It means that there was believers who accepted the way, per se, right, accepted Jesus Christ, accepted Paul's gospel, right, which is Jesus' gospel, accepted Jesus in their hearts. Now we're believers, but we're still dabbling in other things they weren't supposed to dabble in. They were believers, but now they realize that what they've been living and the life that they've been living is totally contrary to what the gospel is all about. 
Those were those, there were those who believed in God, but still were dabbling in the things of this world. They chose God, but they did not experience true repentance. They did not have a total change of mind or heart, which resulted in a change of action. See, a lot of times we don't go dive into God. So God will give you 80%. And what we do is we repent 80%, but the 20% he worked, he's working on us, we choose not to repent. Therefore, there's no change of action. He wants 100% of us. He doesn't want a small sliver of us. He doesn't want majority of it, right? We always go off of majority, right? He doesn't want majority. He wants all of it. He wants 100% of it. True repentance is when we change our entire mind and hearts. So this is not new believers, church. This wasn't just new believers. This was believers confessing. It was those who already believed now coming and confessing. And apparently some of them, some of the believers realized for the first time that, that faith in Jesus and participation in magic and participation in sorcery and participation in the occult, occult was incompatible. You can't do both. You can't have one foot in and one foot out. You just can't do it. You cannot have your cake and eat it too, right? You just cannot do it. It's an oxymoron. It's, it's, it's oil and water. They do not mix. You just cannot have it. This doesn't, does not work. Look what Jesus says. He's clear about it. Revelation 3.16 says, but since you are like lukewarm water, neither hot nor cold, he goes, I will spit you out of my mouth. He said, you can't have one foot in and one foot out. It doesn't work that way, Right? It does not work that way. We cannot be hot for God without repenting of sin. We cannot be on fire for God and then uh, not do repentance, which is a 180 degree from sin. So what did they do about that? What did they do when they came and they, and they repented of sin, right? And they said, forgive me of my sin, right? I, I, I confess that I haven't been living the life that, I, that I've been, been portraying, right? I haven't been living the life that I need. What did they do? Well, verse 19 tells us. This is a number of them who had been practicing sorcery, brought their incantation books, burned them at a public bonfire. The value of the books was several million dollars. What do they do? It's the need to clean. Someone say need to clean. We need to clean. We got to clean. The need to clean is, you know what it is called? It's a call for action, Right? I would love to clean, sit it on my butt, right, and watch my wife do it. <laughs> Doesn't work that way, right? She won't let you do it. You know, my wife, she just won't let you do it. She won't let you do it. Repentance is a call for action. It's a call for action. Again, repentance, I'm going to keep saying it, a change of mind and heart that results in what? A change of what? Of action, right? Change of mind and heart that results in a change of action. There is an action in repentance, and that action is to clean house. The action is to clean house. That's what the Ephesians did. Once they repented, they acted upon that repentance. Several of them were practicing sorcery. Bible doesn't tell us, but and you imagine that there was believers and unbelievers. They were all dabbling in sorcery. It was the culture of that day. Everybody was doing it. It was a popular thing. The believers and unbelievers, they did it. Notice what they did when, with their books. They could have given them away. 
They could have sold him and made a lot of money, right? Millions of dollars. A lot of money, okay? I'm not a millionaire. Maybe one day I will be, right? That's a lot of money when you think about it. But instead, what do they do with their books? They burned them. They burned them in a bonfire. Notice they didn't go home and, you know, quietly took the books and threw them in the trash or created their own fire. They went home. They grabbed their books. They took him to where everybody else was at and in public display said, I'm done with this lifestyle. I'm done with living like this, and I'm turning it in. And they burned it in a public display of a bonfire. I'll tell you, that was a costly thing to do considering these books were millions of dollars. Millions of dollars. But the believers, you know what they wanted? They wanted a radical breakup. They wanted a radical breakup with all that was ungodly. Spirit of God produced a deep change in their hearts. They were known for their sorcery and the act of burning their books was declaring that they had true repentance. It's true repentance. The public display. Selling the volumes would have been just, just spreading the poison. They weren't about that life no more, right? You're about that life. They weren't about that life anymore, right? They weren't about it no more. They said, I'm done. I'm over with. I'm sick. I'm tired, right? I said this uh, several months ago. When you're sick and tired of being sick and tired, that's when change happens, right? They were sick and tired of living in a sinful uh, lifestyle, and they took their books, and they burned them in a bonfire. Their actions shouted that he was more valuable to them than any God, than any false power, than any, any uh, source of trust, any amount of money. They feared God more than anything else in life. And they showed that by burning their books. I'll tell you, just like the Ephesians church, when we come to Christ, there are often practices and ideals that we must abandon. We have to abandon. But it's easy for us as a church to say, well, that's a good message for the unbeliever. But you know what? This is a message for an unbeliever, and this is a message for the believer. It ain't just the unbeliever that needs to repent. It's us as Christians that need to go before God and repent of our sins. It's easy for the believer to point out and say, hey, that's for them. No, no, it's for me today. It's for us today. It's for every single one of us today. The call for repentance in the clean house is not just for the unbeliever. It's also for the believer. There are times that even the most seasoned Christian, don't care, 100 years you've been a Christian, there's times that we need to sit back and examine our life, what we've allowed to come into our life, and say it's time to clean house. It's time to cut things off. It's time to separate. True repentance is a change of mind and a change of heart resulting in what? A change of what? Come on, we got two people. Change of what? Change of action right? We want to change our mind and heart, but we don't want to change our actions. Come on, right? The 180 degree could turn. It's more than words. It's action. It's turning completely in the opposite direction. But if the house is never clean, and what I'm talking about is, is our physical homes, but I'm talking about the physical dwelling of the Holy Spirit, our personal being, if the house is never clean, if we do not remove that which causes us to sin, then after repenting, instead of doing an about face and a 180, what we do is we do a complete 360-degree turn, and we go right back to the same crap we left. 
right? Repenting is great, but it has to result in a change of action. It would have been easy to repent and say, all right, I'm done with the sorcery. I'm done with, these, with living this lifestyle, but never burn the books. And some of us have done that, right? Because I'm done with this lifestyle. And then we go back to our car and we listen to the same negative junk that's played on the airwaves and it's feeding into our souls, but we've never truly repented because we never got rid of the trash, right? We never got rid of the trash. Think about that. It's been easy for the Ephesians to repent by mouth, followed by no action. But what would have been waiting for them at home? The trash. What have been waiting for them when they got back home? Their sorcery books, right? And they were more apt to go back to the junk that they repented of if it was still there in their home. That's why it's not good just to put it in the closet, put it underneath the bed, out of sight, out of mind. No, because one day you're going to remember it again, and guess what? It's going to be in sight and in your mind. Got to cut it off, right? Got to cut it off. Repent by words, but does not result in action. There is no true repentance. Because guess what we do? Go back to sin. That's why we just can't put it away. Jesus says in Matthew 5.29, he says, so if your eye, even your good eye, doesn't matter how good it is, it's even your good eye, he says, causes you to lust, gouge it out and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than your than your whole body to be thrown into hell, right? Then he goes on and says, and if your hand, even your strong hand, causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away, it is better for you to lose one part of your body than for you, your whole body to be thrown into hell. Jesus uses this figure of speech. Your people are self-mutilating. That's not what Jesus is saying because guess what? If you cut your good hand off, guess what? You have your other hand, right? You cut that hand off, you still got your mind, right? How many times the mind sins more than the hand does, right, when you think about it? He's not talking about cutting and self-mutilating. That's not what Jesus is saying. What he's saying is we must be willing to sacrifice to be obedient. If a certain part of our body or a certain part of our life is given over to sin, you know what it must be? We must be convicted of it. We must cut it off and separate ourselves from it. That's what Jesus is saying. He's saying if it's causing us to sin, that's what we do. We chop it, right? We, 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 we go through the pruning, we get the pruning shares. They're painful, but they need it for growth, right? You got to cut the dead areas out of your life. You have to. You have to separate yourself from those sinful things. And it's better off that that portion of your life dies than your entire being die in the lake of fire, right? That's what it comes down to. Would you rather have a little bit of discomfort and, 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 and breaking something up or would you rather live your life in eternal hell? That's, that's, that's it. Sorry, I can't make it even sweeter than that. I, I, I can't. It, it is, it's up in our face, right? And it convicts even myself because it hit me harder than it, it hit you, right? Because it hit me harder. Be, I, I, have, I have to live it and receive it before I can give it, right? And that's just part of it. We must be willing to break with sin. Let me tell you, it might be a friend that's a toxic in your life. And it might be hard to do. Cut it off. Cut it off. It, it might be a family member. It, it, it might be painful. It might hurt. Cut it off. 
might be a relationship. It might be an event or it might be a, a, a certain group you go to. It might be an app on your phone nowadays. It may be a computer or a TV program. Whatever it may be, what we need to do is we need to get rid of it. We need to cut the line. We need to separate ourselves because that's the only way true repentance happens, right? Because it's better off to suffer a little bit than suffer a lifetime. And that's the choice. It's more painful cutting it off and out or losing your entire self. Let me tell you, we must be willing to break up with every sinful way in our lives. The Ephesians were willing to break up. They were willing to break up. In verse 20, check verse 20 out again. It says uh, uh, that the, uh, the message about the Lord spread widely and had a powerful effect. When did it have a powerful effect? When they decided to do what? Break up. Amen? All resulting from a breakup with sin. Church, we need to break up with sin this morning. We need to break up with sin. Break up with the culture of this world this morning. Amen? 2 Chronicles 7.14, we love to quote this, and we love to, to read it, but when there's no action behind it, it's just words. Because it says, then that my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. What does turning from your wicked ways mean? Repenting, right? Repenting is a change of heart and a change of mind that results in a change of action, it says, uh, uh, from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven, I will forgive their sins, and I will restore their land. We want that as Christians, right? But are we willing to receive the breakup where that needs to happen for us to receive the Holy Spirit? We want 100% of God, but we're only willing to give 75% to him. Let me tell you, it's, it's, a, it's a 50-50 type street, and if we've got what, if we want God 100% in our lives, I was telling my son then this, this week, if we want something from God, you know what we need to do? We need to give everything to God. A lot of times we want to, we want everything from God, but we want to give nothing back to him. Absolutely. Or we say, well, I give you 80%, but I want 100% back. I'm sorry. If you ain't give 100% relationship, I ain't either, right? And that's how, how exactly how it's going to work. I'm telling you right now, we have to 100% be committed to God. Amen. Repent. My people are willing to break up with sin. God said he will do what? Hear us. He will hear us. He will heal us. He will restore us. But it all starts from what? Break up. Break up. So, well, God, why aren't you hearing me? Why aren't, why aren't you answering my prayers? Why isn't this happening? Why isn't that happening? And he's saying, I'm trying, to, I'm trying to talk with you in certain areas of your life. But you know what? You're just like the Israelites. You're hard-headed, Dennis. You're hard-headed. And Dennis doesn't like to listen to that. Say, God, you made me. And we all want to say, God, you made me hard-headed. He goes, no, I didn't make you that hard-headed. Right? Come on. Right? I didn't make you that hard-hidden. But we, we, we wander through our wilderness of life. Sometimes it takes us 40 years to find the promised land. Did it have to? No. It doesn't. It doesn't have to. But are we willing to repent? Are we willing to have a change of heart, which results in a change of action? Because if we're not, really God's saying, well, you, I'm sorry. It separates me from you. It separates me from you. I'll tell you, every, every, every day, but particularly Sundays, when I'm preparing and I'm coming into a, a message, I ask God, I said, Lord, anything that separates me from you, any sin, anything that I've done, knowing or unknowingly, Lord, I want it to be removed because I want to hear from you. 
I want to understand you. I want to have your wisdom. I want to give, what, unfilter what you want to be said. Not me. Anything, because any amount of sin does what? It separates us from God. But the beautiful thing about it is there's repentance. Amen. Stand with me as I close in prayer. And I'm going to ask you one final question. Are you ready for a breakup? Right? Are you ready for a breakup? It's going to be hard. It ain't going to be easy. It's going to be tough. But as the word says, he says, I will never leave you nor forsake you, but I will be with you to the very end. That means that during that breakup, he's going to say, I got you. I got you. My son, my daughter, I got you. Heavenly Father, we come before you today, Lord Jesus, and I thank you, Lord, for your word. I thank you, Heavenly Father, Lord, for giving it to us in our face up front, Lord. Lord, am I, we, we, we've, we've smashed some toes, Heavenly Father, Lord. We've maybe hurt feelings, whatever it may be, Lord. But I know right now, Lord Jesus, that you're doing a work, Heavenly Father, in your church, Lord. Lord, and everybody, Heavenly Father, Christian, believer, unbeliever, Lord, right now, Lord, you are convicting us in certain areas of our life, Heavenly Father. Lord, you are not condemning us, but you're convicting us. There's two separate things. The enemy comes to condemn, but, the, but, but you've came to convict in the name of Jesus. We are not, and, and all we have to do is come before you, and we are no longer underneath the, the condemnation of sin any longer, Heavenly Father, because you have convicted us in our hearts to be separated, Lord. You have said in your word that you have called us to be separated from this world, Heavenly Father, and I pray right now that we do just that, Heavenly Father. We separate ourselves from the areas that are not supposed to be there in our lives, Heavenly Father. We cut off, Heavenly Father, things that would be causing us to die spiritually, Heavenly Father. So we do not have to live in eternal death separated from you, Lord. Allow us to be obedient right now, Lord, and given the chance, Lord, to separate ourselves from this world, Lord. We thank you, Heavenly Father. Lord, we thank you, Heavenly Father, for your forgiveness. I thank you for your restoration. I thank you for your healing, Heavenly Father. Lord, I thank you, Heavenly Father, Lord, that you allow us, Lord, to persevere, Heavenly Father, as much as Satan will throw something at us, especially as we distance ourselves from the, uh, different things, Heavenly Father. Lord, that you will give us the strength to continue to persevere, to see it to the very end. We give you the glory and honor. We thank you, Heavenly Father, and I pray, Lord, right now, Lord, if there's anyone that does not know you, Lord, I pray right now that they, they just submit, right where you are, submit to Lord, say, here I am, have your way. In the name of Jesus, we pray. The church says, amen. God bless you, church. We'll see you next week. If you need prayer, come on up. If you need prayer online, text us, give us a call.